Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Turn in your Bibles to Jude. Uh, Jude is the second to last book in the Bible. Hebrews, James, uh, Peter's, John's, and then Jude, and then Revelation. Jude is uh, quite short, as we'll see. Uh, We'll be spending some time in this book over the coming weeks. Um, We'll be focusing on the first two verses this morning, but I'll be reading verses 1 to 4 to help us with a little bit of context. But with the Word open before us, let us go to the Lord and ask for His help. Let's pray. O gracious Heavenly Father, we understand that we cannot keep our ways pure. But, Lord, you guard us by your word and watch over us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, have our hearts and help our hearts to be able to seek you. Let us not be those who wander away from you and your commandments, but as you hold us fast, let us seek to be able to walk on your path. Lord, have a, help us to be able to store up your word within our hearts, that we might be able to meditate on it, that we also might not be able to sin against you. Lord, we bless are you, O Lord. We pray that you would teach us your word and your statutes. This morning we pray, through the help of the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Jude chapter 1, well Jude 1 to 4. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Jude is a very short book. It doesn't take long, maybe about five minutes to be able to read all of it. The last book before Revelation One of the shortest books in the whole entire Bible, approximately about 461 words in Greek total, making it the fourth shortest book in the New Testament. Jude has been called by one commentator the most neglected book in the New Testament. The most neglected book in the New Testament. For such a short book, it is often unnoticed, unread, unstudied. Carson and Moo explain that Jude is a timeless book, addressing issues found in every generation. They say the atmosphere of postmodernism in which the church now lives required us, requires us to guard against the temptation to welcome heresy in the name of tolerance. Jude, although it is a short book, is neglected. It is a needed book. It is needed by us today, needed for generations, as all Scripture is. But specifically, as we read through this book, it almost seemed that Jude, the apostle, could have written it yesterday. 
as he speaks about what these issues are that are creeping into the church. This timeless book teaches us as Christians how to be able to deal with false teaching that slowly works its way into any church. This is a short letter. You might say a word of exhortation. A word that is addressing us to be able to do something. Not just to the original readers, but to us today. And to us in this church. In these short, small, 25 verses, we find a book that hopefully challenges us. Challenges us in a way that maybe we haven't thought about, or challenges us in a way in a different way. That we might study and spend some time in this book that some of us might never have read, and most of us have never have studied. Now, when introducing a book, I always find it a difficult task of knowing where to go, but I like to be able to begin by looking at four key things that help us understand the book. Four A's, you might say. The author. Who wrote the book? What's their history? What's their past? How does that help us understand this word? Have they written any other books in the Bible, in the New Testament, mainly? How can we use... There are other books to be able to help us understand this book. The audience. Who was the book written for? Why did they, you know, what's their story? Where do they live? What are the issues that they are facing? Can that help us understand this book? And then aspiration. Why was this book written? Why did the author sit down and be able to write this book? What was the purpose? What, they, what, what were they trying to uh, teach? The audience. And then lastly, the application. What did they want them to do? What did the author want the audience to do? What in the end was the end goal? How was this book or letter shaped to be able to change us? Now all of these then take a step back as we try and understand what does it mean for us? Why did God, the author, write the book to us as His church? To us as individuals? The Holy Spirit writing the book through the, the, the men that are chosen, inspired as they're carried along, writing to an original audience, but then how is it to us? The Holy Spirit writing it to us today. Why then does He write this book to us? And then what are we to do today? All of those four A's that are written to that original time in history then can be applied to us outside of that. Because of the Holy Spirit is over that. Now, when doing this, it becomes a large task. Do I try and accomplish this in a large amount of time? And I find myself, it is better to preach two shorter sermons than one longer one. So today we're only going to focus on the first two of those A's, the author and the audience, and then next week as we look at verses 3 and 4, we'll see the aspiration and the application. But we'll be looking at the author and the audience. Now when we open a, a letter, there is certain formatting in a letter that we understand what the format of a letter is. You open a letter, you see a date or a letterhead, we know this is who the letter is from. Even if there's no letterhead, you can go down to the bottom of the letter and you find their name, dearly beloved, or uh, in Christ, or from, you know, and the name of the person with a signature. Maybe even a title. Who are they? Now, in the time of the Bible, that's not how they wrote a letter. 
They wrote a letter by first saying who they were, and then writing who they're writing to. So Jude begins in verse 1 explaining who he is. That Jude is the author. He tells his audience three things about himself. His name, his calling, and then his family. He firstly tells us his name. His name Jude is how it's commonly translated in our English Bibles. But more literally, the name which is used in the Greek, the original language, would be Judas. Or if it was translated into Hebrew, would have been Judah. Now, this can then help us to understand who this person is. You narrow it down to be able to understand who this person is. Now, you can go through the Bible, and there's five uh, people in the Bible with this name. You have Judas Iscariot, who's the one who betrayed Jesus. You have Judas Thaddeus, who is often called not Judas Iscariot. He's the good Judas, um, but Judas Thaddeus is what his name would have been. John 14, you have the son of James uh, in Luke chapter 6. Judas of Galilee, who was the one who was notorious for an uprising within the times just before Jesus' day. In Acts chapter 5, it tells how he rose up. There was a large group that followed him. He passed away, and the followers all went away. And fourthly is the missionary who we commonly refer to as Barnabas. Barnabas' actual name is Judas, if you would have known. In Acts chapter 15, we get told that twice. And the fifth option is that Jesus' half-brother Judas is mentioned when the people question Jesus, and they ask, who is this Jesus? Is this not Jesus, the son of Mary, the carpenter's son? And he goes through the list of four brothers who are Jesus' half-brothers. And we're given five, and, and this is the half-brother of Jesus. Now, we've given all these five names in the Bible, in the New Testament, and we can go and try and understand. And some people have said that it's not actually any of these five. It's someone else. Some have actually said, and and most likely, if you read any liberal-type scholars, they try and bridge a gap between the time of Jesus and the, the writing of the letter, and then they try and put centuries between them. You put centuries between them, then you're undermining the inspiration and the authority of the Holy Spirit of, of how we get the Scriptures. And they say, well, if this person is lying, then they can't be uh, doing this. So they, they're called pseudo-authors, and they write centuries later, and they claim that they just use a name that someone might have used before to say, you know, try and ride their coattails, you might say. Now, that's not uh, what we believe. We believe the Bible is the, the Word of the Lord, uh, infallible. So now we can rule out a couple of these quite instantly, and that's Judas Iscariot. We have no inclination that he would have written this letter. Uh, we have no, uh, from our studies of the Scripture, quite recent, quite uh, at, not long after Jesus' passing, that Judas goes and hangs himself. And the second we can quite rule out quite instantly is Judas of Galilee. He would have lived before Jesus' time uh, from that passage in Acts, and most likely wasn't a Christian. So we are left with three other options. That's Judas, uh, son of James, or Judas Thaddeus, or Barnabas. Now, they, they could qualify for writing this letter. Now, we're given something else when we learn about his family. 
But more likely, if they were to write a letter, they're more commonly known as Barnabas, as we would know as Barnabas. And then also Thaddeus seemed to be his more regular name. So if you're going to write a letter, unless you're writing to someone who knows you very particular, you're more likely going to use the common name that people are associated with. And that's generally the sense that we have here. But from their lack of information given here, and from this other point that we'll look at later, we most likely think, and I believe, that it's Jude, Jesus' half-brothers. So the, even before we get to, and brother of James, we uh, find this uh, part out that it most likely is Jude, the half-brother of Jesus. And we can f- confirm that. By the, the last thing that he tells us about, his name, his uh, calling, his, um, his family, and that's the third thing that he says, that he is the brother of James. Again, James has no introduction. He merely just says that he is Jude, the brother of James. Now, we must then assume that that James is someone who is known by the church, someone who is a popular, prominent figure, that he needs no introduction that he says that he's a brother of James and everyone knows who that James is. Now, around here, if you say you're the brother of James, you'd probably then say, which one? And then they might say their last name and you go, I still need more information. You know, a lot of people around here have similar last names. And that wasn't here in this case when this letter is written that he's saying that he's the brother of James. That this James is known to the original audience as well. Now, this could be speaking of James the Apostle, uh, James and John. But this is probably unlikely because he's referred to as his relationship with John almost all the time. It's always James, the brother of John. Never just James by himself. His relationship is through John. But also, he died quite church, early in the church. He was the first martyr of the church. He was murdered, uh, martyred by... Agrippa I in Acts chapter 12. And this probably happened around 44 A.D. Earlier than we assume that Jude was written. So again, the most likely candidate is that Jesus had another half-brother called James who would have been known by the early church, very prominent in position. He's the author of the letter of James. He also is in Acts chapter 15 where he takes on the role of what we might call as Presbyterians, the moderator of the Jerusalem council. So again, most likely we're leaning towards um, Jude, the half-brother of Jesus and brother of James. Now what makes this interesting out of all of this is that if we narrow it down, he doesn't then relate to and connect himself and say that he is the half-brother of Jesus. You would think if you were starting a letter, and especially if you're writing as a pseudo-author years later, you're going to be name-dropping. Wouldn't you name-drop that you're a half-brother of Jesus? But he doesn't call himself a half-brother of Jesus. What he says in his calling is that he is a servant of Jesus. What makes this very interesting The Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, actually did not believe Jesus during his earthly ministry. You can read about this in Matthew chapter 12 and John chapter 7. 
that they did not believe. John specifically says that his brothers did not believe him and believe in him. Now at some point, after Jesus' resurrection, James and Jude become believers. We're not told how or why. But here is how Jude refers to himself. He calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ. Maybe more accurately translated as a bondservant or more literally translated, a slave to Jesus Christ. I once heard Derek Thomas say that if you're able to look at proof and evidence of the Bible, you could go to many different places. And he said one of the places that he might go to is Jude chapter 1, where Jude, a half-brother, a brother of Jesus, says that I am the slave of my brother. Now us who are older and even us who are younger who have brothers or sisters, we often would not ever call ourselves a slave to our brother, would we? We would always maybe call ourselves equal. But to lower ourselves, to be able to call a slave of our brother, this is exactly what Jude does, exactly what James does. And slave is probably a better translation. And Jude and James both saw themselves as slaves of Christ. Now again, Jude could have name dropped. He could have said, well, I grew up with Jesus. In boasting, trying to explain who he is, what his qualifications are. He doesn't do any of that. He says, who am I? What is my calling? I am not my own. I am bought with a price, both body and soul, and I belong to my Lord and precious Christ and Savior, Jesus Christ. His business card does not seek to be able to lift himself up so that others may listen. He seeks to be able to lift up Christ. You want evidence of the shaping work of Jesus Christ. Here is a great example. A sibling calling your other sibling calling themselves a slave to their other sibling. He seeks to be able to be a servant of Jesus Christ. So the author, Jude, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, the servant of Jesus Christ, as he prefers to be known as. But secondly, the audience. Now the author tells us in some way exactly who he is writing to. Now we find this, Throughout the the words, that's where we get most of the uh, names for the epistles of Paul. You have the book of Romans, which Paul is writing to the people in Rome. You have those in Corinth, Corinthians, Galatians. All of these names, even individual people, Timothy and Titus, Philemon. But that formula doesn't work in James, Peter, and John and Jude. In some way, we know exactly who this letter is written for because we're told. But in some way, we're not told specifically who this letter has been sent to. Now, some have seen some similarities between uh, Jude and Peter. Um, some believe, and most, most commentators believe, that Jude was written first and second Peter was written after Jude. And so Jude has written, Peter dies roughly around 66 A.D. 
So this puts Jude in the early 60s, is roughly when most people assume is written. So it's before the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, most definitely, and uh, probably before uh, 2 Peter is written, so before Peter's death. Now, before all this, there is an interesting thing that's happening in Jerusalem that many uh, Jews actually seek to be able to flee and disperse amongst this. Persecution is ramping up. So this letter could have been written for those Jews who are fleeing Jerusalem, exiles in various parts of the world. Now Jude quotes from various Jewish sources. This is an interesting topic that we'll talk about as we study it more. But it doesn't mean that it's exclusively Jewish. So in in some way, we do not know exactly who this letter is written for, a group of people in, in a certain town or place or time though it is written to a specific audience in mind. But in another way, we're told exactly who this written letter is written to. So in our modern letter, we go down to the bottom, we see who it is from, and we go up to the top to be able to see who it is to. And here Jude tells us who this letter is written to. But he says that the readers are those who are called, beloved, and kept. Now, this is one of my favorite summaries the Christian life. I think you find a beautiful summary found in these three words. Now, it's my favorite for many reasons. Some of it is because it has nothing about what I have done or will do, but it focuses on God and what He has done for us, that He is the one who has accomplished all of these actions. Nothing to do with me as a believer, rather it's God's relationship with the believer. We are called by God, beloved by God, kept by God. Love it because it's Trinitarian. You say that we're called by the Spirit, loved by the Father, kept by the Son, or the Son. But firstly, that we're called by the Spirit. The letter is specifically written with believers in mind. Specifically those within the church. The word call comes... And it means exactly that, to be called out of. To be called out of the world into Christ's church. To be separated from others. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, to those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul uses this term to signify not only that we are called, We are called for a specific purpose, called out to be holy. Paul earlier said in Romans chapter 1 that he was called to be an apostle. This letter is written to those who have been called out from the world, called out of their life of sin and misery. Now generally, sometimes this word can have a general meaning, a calling general, outside, that everyone is called. The free offer of the gospel goes forth. That as we proclaim the, world, the, the word, that it's not only those who are elect who are called, but everyone has come to be able to come and hear the good news of Jesus. As Matthew writes in chapter 22, many are called, but few are chosen. However, in Judah, it has a more specific meaning. 
This word called is not just this general calling. This word called is, in Greek, is deeply connected to those who are beloved in God the Father, who are kept for Jesus Christ. It changes both of those words, that they're all interconnected. That these three words are tied together. You're called, beloved, and kept. If Romans 8.28 to 30 is, is the golden chain of salvation, you might say Jude chapter 1 is, is the golden bracelet of security for the believer. It is th- those who are called beloved and kept. One commentator explains it like this. Like a river, these words when put together flow effortlessly, soothing weary listeners in need of shoring up their faith. Great assurance can be found in these three words called beloved and kept. They're not in the world because they've been called out by the Spirit. Called them out to be able to live as holy men and women serving Christ. And oh, how we need that reminder every single day. They were called. Called to be different. Called to serve God. Not only were called by the Spirit, but beloved by the Father. Again, we are loved. And this focus is not on us as believers. This focus is on God. God does not love you because you are lovely. Because it is God's love towards us that He loves us. John understood this as he writes of himself and throughout his Gospel he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. It's not because he thought himself higher than all the other disciples. He understood that it is because Christ loved him. And he wanted other people to know that. He wasn't better than the other disciples. What he wanted to show is that God loves me. Not only did he write about himself that way, that's how he addressed those people who he wrote to in letters like 1 John. He says, Beloved, I want you to know. Actually, every single author in the New Testament uses this word at some point to describe a believer. Every single author in the New Testament describes this word that believers are beloved. And Jude explains that you are called What are you called for? That you are called and loved. Beloved by the Father. Not only that you've been called out of the world, but you're called into a family. Where God the Father has adopted us as His children. Once enemies of God, now children of God. Again, what have we done for this love? Jude doesn't say that you didn't sin, so therefore now He loves you. We have done nothing. Paul writes in Ephesians, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with the power of His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length, and the height, and the depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, 
that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Again, what a great prayer for us to pray as believers. Not only that we've been called out of the world, but we've called to be a part of the family with God the Father who has adopted us. And lastly, that we are kept for Christ. Kept for Christ. Jude then explains that we are kept for, by Christ and kept for Christ. The glorious truth that's found throughout all the Scriptures. The Father gives to the Son all who are His. And the Son never loses them, never forsakes them. As Jesus explains in John chapter 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. What a comforting truth that is to believers. That we are kept by and for Christ. Cain answered the question and said, Am I my brother's keeper? Well, Christ says, I am my brother's keeper. I'm the one who will keep my brothers safe and secure. I will by no means cast out. I've used this example before, but it is such a good quote. You'd have to forgive me. John Bunyan in his book, Come and Welcome to Jesus Christ, or its Puritan title, A Plain and Profitable Discourse, on John 6.37, shows the cause, truth, and manner of the calling of a sinner to Jesus Christ and his happy reception and blessed entertainment. John Bunyan welcomes the blessed, welcoming Christ as he welcomes sinners. He says, for all of us who need to be reminded, we will have many reasons to be able to say why we are not called and why we are not beloved, why we are not kept. I'm a great sinner, you might say. Jesus says that I will no means cast out. I'm an old sinner. I'm a hard-hearted sinner. I'm a backsliding sinner. I've served Satan all my days. I've sinned against light. I've sinned against mercy. I've done no good thing to bring with me. Again, this, this, this glorious golden braces of our assurance and security is not found in what we have done. That we are called out of the world into the family of God and kept for and by Jesus Christ. And Christ says, by no means I will cast out. Dude, in these opening sentences, reminds us why and who we are. Again, specifically, this is written to nobody. We do not know who the original audience is, where town they're from, how, how many there are, what their background is, what's their understanding of the Scriptures, but he says that does not matter. This is probably why it is such a timeless book. Because it says, who it is written to, it is those who are called by the Spirit, loved by the Father, kept for and by His Son, Jesus Christ. What a foundation that we need to be reminded of on those days when we get home and we're angry, we're short. On those days when we get home, when we, when we think about all the sin that we have done and what we have accomplished and how far we have fallen. 
the month that we have had. How we are desperate and a sinner. We need to be reminded that we are called, beloved, and kept. Jude continues to be able to spell out this prayer for these believers. A great prayer for us to be able to meditate on today. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. For those who are called, beloved, and kept, a great prayer to be able to pray. That mercy may abound. That peace may grow. That love may be filled. Drude explains our Trinitarian name that a believer has, but also this prayer. Now we see these th- themes throughout the letter. We also should see that this is a prayer of an ongoing life of the believer. That a believer is one who grows and should pray for growth as well. We're always called, always beloved, always kept. But as we go through our journey, that we might be able to see and pray for an increase of mercy, peace, and love in our lives. Sometimes you might not know what to pray. Jude 2. A great place to start. You wake up every morning. Thank God that you are called. Thank God you are beloved. Thank God that you are kept. And then pray. That mercy, peace, and love may multiply in your life. A great prayer to be able to pray for others as well. That if they're called beloved and kept, that mercy... Peace and love may abound and grow in their life. What a great sense of assurance we have as we meditate and think and ponder the truth of who we are in Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. O gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise that all that we have done is next to nothing. Lord, our good works are never good, only if they're done through the Spirit. Lord, we thank You that we look to You and what You have done for us. Lord, help us know of this great assurance. Help us know that we are called by the Spirit, loved by the Father, and kept for the Son. Help us to be able to grow in our walks as we walk our life in this weary land. That we might grow in our mercy and peace and love. We understand that we cannot do this of our own accord, for we need your help. We pray in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.